then he's calling. Amen. There's no need to be hungry in a time like today. There's a, there's a, there's a famine in the land for hearing of the word, but you know, there's granaries that are full. There's no need to be hungry. Amen. Don't you love the Lord? He provides all of our needs. Amen. Amen. Let's just take our Bibles here. Thank you, musicians, Brother Ray. God bless you, Sister Angie, for that special. Hey, man, I sure enjoyed that. I know my wife's been singing that all week around the house, and I won't tell you who sings it better because I'll get in trouble either way. So, hey, man, I just enjoy good singing and worship and music, and there's just something about it. Hey, man. Hey, man. Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 4, if you will. You know, sometimes a minister says something to get his nerves going in the right direction or something. and Sometimes I feel like all it does is takes our nerves and puts it on our wives. <laughs> you know, I always feel for my wife, she has to put up with me at home, and then I get up and preach, and you know, my goodness. Jesus, she's so sweet to put up with me. Amen. Romans chapter 4, very familiar to all of us. Verse 20 says this, And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to to perform. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. If you have a need on your heart that you want to say, remember me tonight, and I want God to come by my way, come by my pew, and just show it to the Lord by an uplifted hand. God bless you, each one. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see every hand that's raised here tonight, Lord, and that's the cry of every believer. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Well on others thou art calling. Don't pass me by, Lord. Father, I know in myself it's, I'm completely unable to meet any one of those needs. Yet, Lord, if you just come down for just a few moments, Lord, you can meet every need, Lord. You can minister to every heart, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray you just help me to get myself aside and out of the way, Lord, so you could move freely and speak to your little bride tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord is blessing to the word. You may be seated. Amen. I want to take for a title tonight, and I just pondering this subject and what, what it is to be committed. You know, there's different things that different ones would, would say. and What it is to be committed in the world has a different idea of what even a committed relationship is. And commitment has changed so much from down through the years and through different times where, you know, making a promise doesn't seem to be that big of a deal anymore. But there's, there's really, there's a lot of politicians nowadays that just, you know, I was talking with a fellow the other day, I said, you know, they make their, their claims, and they, they, they say, well, you vote us in, we'll do this, and it seems like as soon as they're voted in, most of that just goes right out the window. And, you know, it's just, it's a word, it's not, it's not a real commitment, but there's something about a real commitment that we need to, to be committed, and I want to speak tonight about being fully committed are you fully committed to the cause of Christ? And, and I want just to take this as committed to a cause. And when you're fully committed to any one thing, 
then that one thing is all that matters. When you're really committed to something, when you're committed to a relationship you find with a young man or, you know, when he's committed to a a young woman to to court her and to be engaged to her, she's all that matters. All the other girls don't matter anymore. All the other people in the room sometimes. I remember when I was courting with my wife and engaged and still it's that way today. When she's in the room and I'm in the room, it's like we're just alone. You know, nobody else really exists. It's just the two of us. It's a commitment there. Just to one another. And when there's a young man that likes a young woman, he'll travel, Brother Ed said, all the way to Saskatchewan or perhaps from Grand Prairie to to Edmonton just for a purpose because there's uh, a level of commitment that he just wants to fulfill that. He wants to be together with her and she wants to be together with him. So if there's a commitment or something you're fully committed to, you'll find that you will expend your time. You'll expend your energy and you'll even expend your finances for that one thing. And furthermore, a commitment to something, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of that commitment. It doesn't matter if they think it's foolishness. It doesn't matter if they think you're wasting your money. If you've committed yourself to it, that's what you want to do. You could take it many ways. If you're committed to run a race, you don't wake up one morning and just decide, oh, the marathon's today, I think I'll run in it. No, there's a commitment to that that you've made a long time before that you start making preparations. You start to begin. You start to train. You start to do certain things that are for a purpose of running that race. Amen. And we know that that even today, whether we we may not be running literal races, but we're in a spiritual race. And I encourage you, if you haven't started running tonight, maybe get in the chalk blocks because tonight you can always start. You can always start running in the right direction and I was thinking about something just in the, in the today, forgive me just for laying a bit of a foundation for you, but we have, we have something today that has become so big and they call it cancel culture or cancel culture where they want to just abandon things. They want to boycott things. They want to turn away from things of the past in any way if it's ever, they feel it's ever stepped on their rights, on the people's rights. They just want to cancel it. We just want to cancel this. We just want to cancel that. And it's really, it's, it becomes a mentality of giving up. It becomes a mentality of not being willing to be held responsible for the past. Or not being willing to be held responsible or accountable for certain actions. Because you just want to cancel things. Because, you know, it, it doesn't agree with you today. Or it's not what you want to do. But the world has that idea of we could just cancel things. But I say for the believer, there's only one thing to cancel. And that's to cancel our daily subscription to Lucifer's thoughts. We like to just hit the cancel subscription button on that one. Maybe if we want to cancel culture in the message, we just say cancel to the devil every time he tries to creep in. I don't want this. I didn't sign up for this. I'm not willing to take this. You know, there, you can take things two ways. The devil in his Satan's Eden, he wants to have a cancel culture of canceling things of men and women that maybe they did some things, but they also stood for something. And they also came and they, they were a part of, of, of the nation being founded. They were a part of certain things and they want to put that away but I say that we can also have a certain culture in the message where we can cancel who we once were we don't have to do have to live with it and say well we got to live up to it no we can cancel it and say that's not who I am anymore Amen. I don't have to put a name on it and say, well, I think I was this person. Or I think I was that person. No, if I'm committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, then all previous commitments have been canceled. Because there's one thing that I'm fully committed to. It's not just a small commitment or a Wednesday night commitment or a Sunday night commitment or this kind of commitment. You know, life is, oh, stuff for that. Life is, is something that we need to just be fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ because there's something in it that is eternal you know sometimes I was talking to a brother I think it was brother Ed but I was talking to him yeah I was but you know sometimes we get so caught up in the things of this world that we get so bound up and we think of someone that's eternally minded and they start to look a little foolish but if you flip the tables a little bit and you begin to ponder on things that are eternal and you begin to ponder upon the Word of God, pretty soon the cares of this life begin to look a whole lot more foolish. They begin to look a whole lot more just the stationary. When, when you begin to think upon the eternal thoughts of God, and you begin to think upon the Word and on the promises, you begin to want to be with Christ more and more and more until the, the, the ways of this world and the things we have to do, it just becomes less and less important. 
And I know there's certain things, there's commitments in life that we have that you have to keep. You have to provide for your family. You have to have a job. You have to do certain things for others. You have to, but there's a certain uh, cry in the believer's heart that just wants to be with the Lord Jesus. And everything else can take second place. Because when you're just partially committed to something, it can fit in the schedule when you have time. And if it's something else comes up that's more important, you can bump it back. You know, if, you, if you're committed, you want, you want to go and say, well, I'm going to make every Wednesday service, but all of a sudden something that you think is more important pops up. Well, I'll just push it off. It's okay. There'll be a next Wednesday service. Now, if there's not a rapture, sure. But, you know, we, we start to push things off, push things off. There's other things. You can take it. Well, I got a dental appointment, but, you know, something more important came up, so we'll just push that off to, their point, to another time. It's a, it's a partial commitment, but when you're fully committed to something, everything else moves. That is the number one commitment. That is what you will move heavens and earth, if you'll go with me, heavens and earth, to fulfill that one commitment. You know, but we live in such an age of, of, of where, where there's a certain spirit on the age called a Laodicean spirit. I'll just say it this way. It's relaxed and lazy, relaxed and, lazy and it's my right to be that way. And we need to be careful not to slip into that. We need to be careful not to slip into that Laodicean attitude of, well, I, I could just come to church. Or, well, I spent my little bit of time in devotions. Well, it's not really that important. Well, I'm doing a little bit for the Lord. Do I really need to do more? But what is our full commitment? What are we fully committed to? Is it to the, the job? Is it to the other things of life? Or am I committed to the kingdom of heaven? We don't want to slip into that spirit of, well, just get lazy, and it's, it's my right, I'm doing everything I can. We don't want to do more for the gospel. We have modern conveniences today, and we've become an age of neurotics. We've got so many modern conveniences. We can travel distances in a car. We can take an airplane. We can put on a washing machine and beep in our clothes. They wash in an hour or so, and they're done. You know, we can do all kinds. Of, that used to take hours. Men nowadays, we always pick on the sisters. They got clothes washers, they got dishwashers, they got refrigerators. They, got, they don't have to make their butter anymore. They got the supermarket they can go to. But brothers, you got a furnace. You don't have to go out and chop more wood and get in the fire to heat the house. You just walk over to the thermostat. Now you don't even do that. You just pick this thing up and go, I don't got to get it from the couch anymore. Heat up. Oh, that's nice. You can link your fireplace in there. Oh, turn the fireplace on. Put the relaxing flame on. Become so lazy. Where there, there isn't a commitment to it anymore. It's just, oh, I could just sit down and do it. But then what are we doing with the time? We become more neurotic. We become more got to do this, got to do that. We work longer hours. We, we spend more time doing useless things. Become too busy to stop and be sensitive to the Lord. What have we become fully committed to? Are we fully committed to our job and the things of this life? Or are we sold out to the gospel of Christ? You're going to be committed to something. Too many times you find Christians, Brother John sings a song, I don't want to be a halfway Christian. Well, I got a commitment to the Lord, but I also got a commitment to this way. I got a commitment to that way. I got a commitment to that way. And it's pulling me in every which direction. Something has to take the preeminence. And you find today people, I'll just go down in this road. People will not miss work for anything. But because, what's you? I can't go to church. I sneezed. Scared you, didn't I? You see what I'm saying? They got a little bit of something. They got a little of this and a little of that. Oh, I can't go because of this and because of that. Well, but you won't miss work for that. But you won't stop going shopping for that. I'm just saying what everybody's thinking. Everyone's saying not behind the pulpit, all right? Trust me, I know this. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. So you get in that kind of an attitude where I'll, 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 miss, I'll miss church, but I got to work because I got to support my family because all of a sudden I got this mortgage that I got to pay for. And we get ourselves in those situations. It's just the truth of the matter. But God, where is our full commitment? 
What are we fully committed to? Are we of the attitude where life is too short? We shouldn't even have Sunday night service anymore. Why are we having prayer? I mean, there's so much to do. Lord, we should have more church. I'll just be honest with you. If I say, man, we should cancel Sunday night church. Instead, we should move it to Monday night. And have Tuesday night prayer meeting, Wednesday night church, and have Thursday night prayer meeting, Friday night young people, Saturday night church, or Sunday morning church. And all the preachers said, oh, no, they're not with me. <laughs> all right. Maybe we have a different service tonight, but I, I'm just trying to keep you with me here. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we need to get into the right kind of an attitude. What are we committed to? I'm trying to make you stop and think because I'm still dealing on the spirit realm. Because so much, many times, we focus so much on the soul, and you must be born again, you must be born again. Amen, you must be born again. There is no other way to make it into heaven. But then on top of that, we, the devil likes to compound our lives and compound our lives until we're so drowned out with all these other commitments that we forget down in the soul. There's a commitment we made to God that my life is not my own, it's his. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 says, For when for a time you ought to be teachers. Oh my. There's a time right now where the people that sit in the message and have sat in it for years, you ought to be able to take the word of God and know what the word of God says. You ought to be able to pick up a message and say, I remember the last time I read it, but I'm getting something new out of it. You ought to... Forgive us, Lord, if we ever get to a place where we have to say, I've never read the seals. I've never listened to them. You're preaching 63, and you speak English. So that's not very nice. I'm just trying to be honest with you tonight. We've got the, the, this message has been committed to us. Lord, what are we doing with us? What is our commitment? What are we spending our time on? And I know we have so much commitments in our time. And you, when you grow up, you got to go to school. You have to get a, a college education almost nowadays even to get a reasonable job in order to supply for a family. But in all of that, has that become our sole focus in life to build a kingdom here that we forget? Hebrews chapter 12, 5 and verse 12. For we, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as need milk and not strong meat. Oh my, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't want you to take tonight's service and say, Brother Andrew's saying, uh, I'm, I'm just drinking milk. No. I want you to, 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 to think about where you're at. Say, where do I belong? It's like when Brother Bannon would preach a story of a chicken and an eagle. And some people go out and say, he called me a chicken. No, you called yourself a chicken. Because that's where you identified. Because other people went out from the same story and said, I'm an eagle. Praise be to God. And if we go down to, to the next chapter in verse 6 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of, do of the doctrine of Christ, it's not that we do away with them, but he says, let's build on them. The principle, that's the foundation he says, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So of all those things he just listed, how many things is that? One, two, three, four, well, there's two in the verse before, six things that he lists. So he says, these are foundational things. In other words, these are things, there should not be a question in the mind of a believer. Oh, it is the Godhead. No, I think we're pretty clear on that. Amen. Amen, we're pretty clear on that. But let me take it another step further. There should not be a question about the laying on of hands. There we go. There's a foundation of faith. There should not be a question. Well, maybe I should go to the front and get my hands on it because maybe I'll be healed. No, it's the Scripture says 
If there be any sick among you, have them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil. They shall lay their hands on the sick. They shall recover. So there should not even be a question that that is a foundation. That's not some great, well, I need some great faith. No, I just say, Lord, this is your word. I'm going to take you at your word. No matter how long it takes, I, I, I shouldn't even be a question about it. Never should there be a question about the resurrection of the dead. Nor should there be a question about repentance from sin. Nor there should there be a question about eternal judgment. And I'm not saying that you can't come with your simple questions and say, what do you mean? But I'm saying that there shouldn't be, is that really real? Or does that really work? Or are the, oh... Where's our faith at? Are we still going back to those things and saying, well, maybe if I go through a prayer line, I'll be healed. No, but let's go on to that, on to perfection. What are we talking about perfection? Oh, let me just take one quick step for you in perfection. You could take healing of laying out of hands, and you could take one step a little bit higher and say, I'm not even worthy that you lay your hands on me. Just speak the word. Well, the centurion said, I'm not even worthy that you come under my house. I'm not worthy that you come, but I'm a man under authority, and I got people under authority. All you have to do is speak. Because I know the devils obey you. What's he saying? Let's take a step up a little higher here. That's very foundational, and there shouldn't even be a question about it, but let's go on. But sometimes we lose our faith in those things because we've got other commitments. And they've lost their place in our heart. You still, no matter how far we go with God, you still have to have a foundation of faith. There's a statue of a perfect man. He says, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, temp- patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. Right? But we want to always take that up and go, let's get to the love, brother. Let's get to the love. Absolutely. Let's get to the love. But don't lose the foundation. Don't forget the foundation. Don't leave those things alone. Stay on those things and know that they're real. And then add to that the strength. And then add to that the patience. And you'll get to the love. You'll get there because those things will ultimately bring about the love of God. Oh my, listen, we ought to be sold out to these principles that we can go on unto perfection. Hallelujah. There shouldn't even be questions about them. These are foundational principles of the oracles of God. John chapter 6, if you just put it on the screen, I won't take time to turn to it. John chapter 6, very familiar to all of us. Jesus says to Jesus, he says, you know, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and except you, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven from whence he came, and then finally these left, those left. But then Simon Peter, he turns to the twelve, and he says, will you go also? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. And we believe that thou art and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's men, 12 of them, one of them being a devil, that had a full commitment. They left their families. They left everything. They said, I'm just going to follow this one man, however long it takes. None of them knew it's going to be three and a half years. None of them had any idea exactly how long it was going to take. They just followed there was a time they'd come around, they got to go back to their house. We know the scripture says that his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, got sick. And he said, Lord, would you come? And he came and he healed his mother-in-law. Amen. But they were fully committed. They were sold out. When Jesus was there, they were there. Anytime you're reading the, reading the Gospels, why he's going down to Jairus. Jairus didn't go knock on Jesus' door and say, is Jesus said, oh yeah, he's just sitting around doing nothing. No, he was with his disciples. And his disciples came with him, and it says he took Peter, James, and John in with him. Amen. He was about the Father's business. Brother Brown says in the message, the unveiling of God, he says, like those disciples, they couldn't explain about eating the body and drinking the blood, but they had done died to those things. They were dead to a principle. They were dead to Christ. No matter what it is or how much defeat looked like he had, they still believed it anyhow. Oh my, see? Oh, we need to have real Christians like that today. No matter what it looks like when we people, they're building their cases and maybe they look and say, oh, this message is racist. If they got in and read the message, I'm sure some people would say that. This message is sexist. 
But there's something about someone who's died out to it that they know that's not the spirit that's behind it. That's not what's being said at all. That's face value. You're missing what's being said. Say, why are you preaching this way? I'm preaching this way because there's coming a time. And it's already here that it is becoming increasingly and increasingly and increasingly harder to be fully committed to this gospel. Oh, my. But I want to just notice here in, in, in the this, in this scripture of John chapter 6, Peter is, is, is confessing his commitment to the Lord. He's confessing a revelation. He says, thou alone art the... And then we know that, that Jesus even asked him at one point, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock I'll build my church. It was a revelation that he was committed to that. But even in that, when it comes to the real crunch time, he ran. All the disciples did. One of them, the scriptures record, even shirked right out of his clothes and ran naked. If you read it in the book of Mark. But why, why were those things? They thought they were committed, fully committed. I'm with you, Lord, to the end. Peter even drew his sword and Jesus said, don't do that. That's the wrong atmosphere. That's not the right spirit behind with the work that we're doing here. But they ran their way. But there was a time. If you look at Acts chapter 2. There was a time when that commitment got some power behind it. There was a time when that commitment became sold out. And it wasn't just a commitment, I speak the word. That's good, he's the high priest of our confession. But it sunk right down into the heart. And it began to come out now where they said, I don't care what anybody thinks. Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching, he says, This Jesus hath, hath God raised up, and whereof we all are witnesses. Oh, Hallelujah. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. In verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. And he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now let me ask you, does that sound fully committed? It sure does to me. There's something that's come to back up his statement now where he's not just operating in a level of a, of a fleshly commitment and a following a Jesus around and following the message, but the message has taken life. Oh my. All right, we'll just go here. But we find that, 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 that Jesus... We, at one point in time, he sent on his disciples to pray for the sick. He sent them out two by two, but they came against one. They couldn't cast them out. And they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus said, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. Amen. But now Jesus was able to cast that out. And the, the, so there was a time when the message was through Jesus. The gospel was in Jesus, and he was speaking it. And let me say this, the devil has no problem with that. The devil has no problem with this message of Malachi 4 being on tapes. He's got no problem with it being in a book. He's got no problem with pressing play as long as that's where it stays. He has no problem with that, but when the message begins to take life... That's when the devil starts to run and the devil starts to flee like we heard this morning where there comes a man that he doesn't even know what to do with him. Why? Because the message that he had no problem when it was in written form because he could debate it. He could try and talk you into it. He could try and talk you out of it just like he did to those, those 12 disciples who walked with the Lord Jesus himself. But when fear come in, they scattered, they ran. They went this way and that way. The devil had no problem when it was just in Jesus. But now when it began to scatter abroad... Oh, and then the message took life, and there was people that began to live it. And, the, and the, there, was, there was those 120 in the upper room that got baptized, and it went to 3,000 in one day, and daily they were sold at it. Now he's running scared. Let me ask you, are you committed? Hallelujah. Oh, my. Singing about Elisha and Elijah. 
Elisha was committed. Even Elijah tried to make him stay, stay at Bethel, stay here, stay there. You don't need to go on anymore. Just stay put here. It's okay. These are good, man, these are good people. You could just stay. But Elisha was fully committed. He didn't have a partial commitment. He didn't just, you know, leave off his plowing with his oxen and just say, you know, I'll just leave him in the barn. I'll be back. No, he got rid of him. He didn't say, I'll just see where this leads me and I'll come back again tomorrow. You know, when I go, I'll probably get a holiday because I'm pretty sure, you know, Elijah's got pretty good benefits and holidays and all those things. So I'll be back. No, he just left all that alone. He said, no, I'm going all the way with Jesus. I'm going all the way with Elijah. He called me. Well, I'm just going to see wherever this takes me. Where did it take him? Right up to where Elijah got taken away. Yep. Oh, my. It wasn't all of a sudden we're buddy-buddied right to the end and all these things. No, Elijah got taken away. But in that time, he was so committed. You can catch exactly what I'm saying. He was so committed to the gospel that for his day, that, 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 that he said that when Elijah said, what would you have me do? He said, I want what you got. I don't want anything else. I, I don't even care about you even. I just want what you got. Whether you're here, whether you're not here, I want that. Because I know that's not a man that does that. It ain't a man that just smokes the water on the Jordan River and walks across. It ain't a man that just speaks and it happens. It ain't a man that walks into the king's chamber and says, you ain't going to get off that bed, you're going to die, and he dies. That's in First Kings or Second Kings one, in case you're wondering. But that's not a man that does it. Elisha, you recognize something. This is there's a power behind you. I want that power. I want that life. And he became so committed to it that he wouldn't even take his eyes off of it. Hallelujah. He said, if you see me when I go, you'll have what you asked for. They went across the Jordan River. I'm sure he wasn't looking down at the, the little pathway across the Jordan, wondering. He was looking right at Elijah. I'm following you, Elijah. Wherever you're going, I'm following you. Whatever you're doing, Elijah, I'm following you. There's your answer to the question, will he ride this trail again? Will she ride this trail again? Whatever he's doing, I'm following you. Whatever this message is going, I'm following this message. Hallelujah. Just keep your eyes on the Word of God. Just keep your eyes on the Word of God. And we find that just keeping his eyes on him, he's seen the chariot of fire. He's seen the whirlwind come down and take Elijah up. And he's seen the mantle begin to come back down. Oh, hallelujah. I don't think he sat back and watched it go down and poof. I'll pick that up soon. I'm sure he went and caught it. He was so committed to the cause. He wasn't willing to just let it fall on the ground and say, well, when I get time. He ran and caught the mantle. He put it around his shoulders. He said, I saw it. I got something. And what did he do? It caught such a burning fire in him that we find in verse 14, he went down to the river and he smote. He says, where is Elijah? No. He said, where is the God of Elijah? Where's the power that I've been looking for? He said, I'd have the devil portion. Hallelujah. Brother Adam says in one place, says, keep me so humble, Lord. Keep me so humble till I know it's not me, it's God doing it. But also don't make me so humble, i got to look to the, the works of somebody else. Hallelujah. Elisha was humble enough. He knew God's using Elijah. But when Elijah was taken out of the way, he recognized it's my time. Oh, my. Church of the living God, little bride. If you could just keep your eyes on this message. When you're sold out to this message, the same angel of the Lord that backed up the prophet is the same angel of the Lord that backs up the little bride. It's not a different power. It's not something else. But when Elijah goes off the scene, it's just grab the mantle and run. I told you at the beginning, get your feet in the chalk blocks. Get ready to run. Don't let it fall and say, I got some other commitment I got to deal with. I got this field to finish plowing. I got this other thing to finish doing. Lord, I see the mantles come to me. I'm ready to run. Oh, my. It's the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that backs up the bride. It's the same one that blinded two of Rome's finest. That were guarding the tomb, blinded them, rolled away the tomb. Jesus walked out and they went, I don't got a clue what happened. Hallelujah. It's the same God that backs up the bride. He doesn't change. It's the same one. 
Oh my, you'll see exactly where I'm going with this. He says this, it's the same God that blinded the eyes of the prison guards and walked Peter right out. He was chained to two of them. They didn't even stir. Oh my. It's the same God that blinded the entire Syrian army. Led them right in by the same person. They were there looking for Elisha. They show up and they surround Dolphin and then and, and, and Elisha's servant goes up and he says, oh, they're surrounded. And Elisha just comes up and he goes, oh, there's more on our side than on theirs. You know, he never, when God opens your eyes, you can't close them again. When you see a revelation, no one can take it away from you. God opened his eyes and he saw the chariots of fire, the horsemen thereof, take Elijah, Elijah away. God never closed his eyes. He was there years later at Dothan, and he says, there's more on our side. He said, those same chariots, them same horsemen, they're still here. <laughs> when God gives you a revelation, and it's real in your heart, he, no one can take it away. And he's not going to close it again on you and say, ah, oh, no, you done, you made a mistake. I'm taking that away from you now. No. Because you find what happened. Elijah saw, Elisha saw that happen. He saw the whirlwind. He saw the horsemen. He saw the chariots. And then he went out, and he cursed 50 children that died. And God didn't say, oh, that's it, take it all away. No. After that, he says, oh, they're, they're, those, they're still here. The army of God is still protecting me. Amen. And he walked out and he prayed, Lord, blind their eyes. And they, this entire army became blind and he just led them down to Samaria. Their worst nightmare. Right inside the city gates, disarmed them. They're just sitting there and said, okay, Lord, open their eyes now. And they go, It's the same God today. It's the same God that when Samuel was harboring David, when David was running from Saul, and he, he got there, and he's harboring him at the school of the prophets there, and Saul sends people up to go get him, go get David, I want to bring him back here. They go up, and they start prophesying. You with me? And they come down, he says, where's David? Well, uh... We kind of got overtaken by a power. There was something going on in the service there at, at end time message Bethel Tabernacle. That it just, something took me over. And he said, so I finally saw, says after a few envoys, he's, I'm going to go myself. Saul, overcome by an evil spirit, goes up and gets in that presence. And he starts prophesying. If God before us, who can be against us? It's not that we go around being stupid, but let me be honest with you. What are we worried about? Amen. If God be for us, we're doing everything we can to follow guidelines, and we're following this, and we're following that, but also let's follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We ought to come to service so under the anointing of God, whether we're preaching or whether we're sitting in the pew, that no matter what, if a policeman were to walk in and nobody get, everybody get all feared, no, let him be caught up in the Spirit. Oh, my. I wouldn't want a testimony. Please, I just didn't want to disrupt the service. But I want a policeman to come in here and he just start getting anointed. Amen. It's the same God today. You say, oh, but they're under an evil spirit. So was Saul. And the power of God is more powerful than anything the devil has. It was the God that kicked him out of heaven in the beginning. And he took a third of the angels with him with his tail. But we know it was the God that defeated him then. It was the God that defeated him on Calvary. It's the same God today. Why should I worry? Why should I fear? It's the very same God. Hallelujah. What do we have to worry about? Oh, my. Don't you just love the Lord? Oh, my. Abraham, even we heard this morning, lied, to his, lied about his wife. That she's my sister. It was a half truth, but we know it's a lie. Lies, 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 lie. It's a lie. Anytime the devil's gums are flapping, they're lying. Doesn't matter. He could come in the Garden of Eden and say, mostly 99% truth. That one little not die. A lie. Make, mix the whole thing up. Perhaps Abraham, according to the carnal mind, should have been punished in some way. 
Perhaps the king should have got right with him and should have gone all said, said all kinds of things and should have kicked him out and, I don't know, done all kinds of punishment. The guy lied about his wife. Are you with me? But what happened in all of that? God said, you got to get Abraham. Have him come pray for you. But he's the one that did the lying. Yeah, but he's fully committed to the word of God that I told him. He's fully persuaded that I would bring to pass the word, that I would bring to pass the promise of him and Sarah. And now you got Sarah, you got half the promise, so you're going to have to give her back. Because he's persuaded. If God before us, who could be against us? If you could just come and be fully persuaded of the gospel of Jesus Christ and know exactly where you're standing, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at us, how he tries to come and how he tries to undercut and what he tries to throw fear in the mix. Don't worry. If you're fully persuaded, he'll perform his promises. He'll make sure it comes to pass. Oh, my Running out of time. You have to be sold out to something. There's a king that sits on the throne of your heart today. The throne of every heart. Fellowship with some of the brothers and doing some things for, for, for witnessing and recording some things. And we're talking about the kingdom of God, and it just became so real. And there is only two kingdoms. You got all kinds of man-made kingdoms, but really Satan's in control of all these kingdoms down here. But there's another kingdom. And these are kingdoms that you've got to invite a king to sit on the throne of your heart. And you either you either have King Jesus on the throne of your heart, or you got King Lucifer. The lie of the devil and the lie of that king is oh, you're in control. We're not in control. There's something that we've got that we're dealing in a spirit realm. We're dealing in a realm that is beyond this flesh. And there's forces at work that are going to and fro. That's why you just read the Bible, Elisha, how he could see the horsemen, the chariots thereof, and these different things. And how Elisha could see there's a power, there's something beyond just this man that's kind of a, a backwoods, roughneck kind of a guy. And he's kind of got a temper, he's a little angry sometimes, and all these things. But there's something beyond that. There's something you can look at and see. There's a brother Branham. You know, he's a, he's a great guy and he's a wonderful man. But you know, he kind of, he went in his own way. I'm not really too keen on how he always went hunting and fishing. He'd leave his wife and he'd do this and do that. But there's something beyond that. Are you with me? There was something beyond that. Oh my, there was the day you could look at, they, they looked at, many people looked at Jesus and they say, ah, he's a bastard born child, he's this and he's that, and he, we know his parents, he was raised in a carpenter's shop, he was just that, but there was something in those disciples, they said, there's something beyond that. Yeah. Oh my, there's no abstention, you can't abstain from a kingdom. You're part of one kingdom or you're part of the other. You're part of the Satan's Eden or you're part of the kingdom of God. You're part of the kingdom of darkness or you're part of the kingdom of light. And the key to it is, is which king you accept. I want to just take a bit of a turn here for a few moments where Brother Brown would talk about in the message going beyond the camp. He says, as I look, I want you to just understand this is in 1964 and going beyond the camp. This is a prophet of God. Coming down to, he's in the last 14 months of his message or 15 months of his message. And he says, as I look and preach across the nation and watch the people, I'm fully persuaded that the people are not getting to Christ. And I believe that it's the enemy that's thrown this hindrance. Because the reason I believe this, he's not the object that we're pointing to. They have either pointed to dogma or doctrine, or a party, or an experience, or a sensation, or something like that, instead of pointing to Christ, the Word. That's why I think that people are resting their eternal destination upon some dogma, or some sensation. I'm saying this to you for a reason, because we need to be so fully committed to Christ. 
not committed to a church, not committed to getting people to have a sensation or getting people to accept your ideology of how you see the message or how you see the Bible. But we want people to see Christ. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that he died for you? Do you know that he's still alive today? Do you know that he's the same God yesterday today and forever? That's why Brother Bradham, when he preached, he didn't try and get people up to an altar. He didn't try to get people here or there. He got people to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If that took an altar call, it took an altar call. If that took a prayer line, it took a prayer line. But it could happen right in their seat. It could happen in your prayer closet. It could happen anywhere because all you got to do is get to Christ. He will be persuaded of something. Matthew 27 verse 20 says it this way. But the chief priests and the scribes persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Oh my. Here we have people being so persuaded in one direction. He said, I'm impossible to be persuaded. Here we have chief priests and elders persuading the multitude to kill Jesus. And to ask for a robber and a murderer back instead. Give me Barabbas instead. There's powers of persuasion. There's powers of something. So the people became committed to that. And even in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, it says, And he said unto them, talking about the parable of the rich young ruler that went down into hell, and he said, Oh, if you just take, dip your finger in water and lay it. And he said, If you just send Lazarus back to my family, tell them. But Jesus finishes off the parable, and he says, If they, would, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And he proved that when he raised Lazarus from the dead and they wanted to put him back to death. Because now you got somebody that's raised from the dead. That's why you need to point them to Jesus Christ. The word says, because if they won't believe this, it doesn't matter what miracles are performed. It doesn't matter how great you see a power on display. If they don't believe the word of God, if they haven't been led to Jesus Christ, it's all for nothing. That's why it's our commitment in a lot of denominations. They certainly don't understand it. Why we go overseas and do mission work and we just bring them the word. Why don't you go over there? Why don't you build great things? Why don't you build schools and build orphanages? Well, those things are fine in themselves. But if you can get them to Christ, then they'll have the faith. That's the, that's the real mission work, is to get people to Jesus Christ. It's not just overseas, but right here in this city. Think of it, every individual has the ability to be fully persuaded of something, and Jesus was the ultimate example of a full commitment to his calling, that Jesus would even go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he would cry, and he would fall on his face, and he would sweat great teardrops of blood. Why? He was fully committed to the cause that he was there to die for our sins. And in that commitment, it was such a war within himself. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. We're living in a time where it's increasingly difficult to be committed to the will of God. But it it ought to be the only thing that's on our minds. It was the only thing on Jesus' mind from 12 years old. We said, I must be about my father's business. And on and on it went. We said, I have needs to go by Samaria. I got needs to go by Capernaum. I got to go over here to this city. I got to go over to that city. Why? He's about the father's will. It was the only thing that was on his mind. He didn't have anything else on his mind. We heard this morning about Brother Branham after 1963 and the seals revealed and all those things. What happened? The humility because the self-will was completely destroyed. And all that was on his mind was, Lord, what would you have me to do now? Lord, bring us to that place where our commitment is so fully committed to God, where the only thing that's on our mind is, what is your will in this, God? What is your will in this, Lord? Romans 14, 5 says, one, that one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. But let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now that's not in his own heart. In his own mind. You do need to be persuaded in your heart. You've got to be sealed to the day of your redemption. 
But Paul's taking it a step further than that. Now he's saying, if you're going to stand where you're standing, you need to be persuaded in your mind. You need to know exactly where you're standing. You need to be fully persuaded that this is the gospel of Christ. That this is the truth. There's, there's a lot of people leaving. There's a brother that left years ago would believe the sign that I happen to have a recording of him singing, we need to be faithful to the end. There's a commitment of the mouth that doesn't mean an awful lot. But there's something down on the inside and when you get born again and something begins to boil out from there and it begins to persuade you in your mind that it doesn't matter what logical argument somebody makes. I am fully persuaded that God is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Oh my. And then the next verse of 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, that's what I just quoted, but verse 13 said, Hold fast to the form of sound words. Oh my. In other words, don't be out there looking and say, oh, what does this person think? Oh, what does that person think? No, hold fast to the message. Hold fast to sound doctrine, which thou hast heard of me, Paul. And who preached what Paul preached? Brother Branham. Hold fast to those words in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. As I'm closing, I just was singing about Paul and Silas in a prison one night. If you just go read the book of Acts, you find example after example of men of God that were fully persuaded and women of God that were fully persuaded of the truth. They were fully committed to this gospel. They gave everything for it. And there, there's Paul and Silas that they're down there. They're so committed to this gospel that they're down there in the prison. Perhaps they're in stocks or in chains or whatever. And they're chained up and they're not able to go anywhere. And oh my, it's a terrible predicament. And they just begin to sing. Oh my. And they begin to sing. We could talk about the book of Acts. And there's that song that says, And the Bible plainly tells how the Holy Ghost fell. Signs and wonders were done by the apostles' hands. Demon spirits were cast out. And in the jail, they sang and shout. Not when they were having a wonderful time in church. Yeah, they sang and shouted there too. But in the jail, when everything was going wrong, they were so committed to the gospel of Christ. The location meant nothing because they were committed. And it didn't matter what the surroundings were. Their entire purpose, whether they were on the job, whether they were with their family, whether they were with their friends, their commitment was to Jesus Christ. And whether they were with their enemies in the jail, they began to sing and shout. Maybe they'd already sung Psalms chapter 34. They began to say, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And delivered me from every fear. Oh my, it didn't matter the chains that were on their ankles. It didn't matter the chains that were on their wrists if we stand together. He delivered them from every fear. They didn't have to be scared of the chains. They didn't have to be scared of the surroundings. They had something inside of them that they were committed to. Maybe they got down and they said, oh, you remember the other Psalm of David? There's Psalms chapter 3. And they begin to sing that and they say, oh Lord, thou, oh Lord, art a shield to me. You're my glory, you're my healer, and you're the lifter of my head. It's got nothing to do with me. Thou, oh Lord, art a shield to me. My glory and the lifter of my head. Oh, maybe some new inspiration begin to strike Paul. He begin to sing that song. We're rising up. Come on. We're rising up. We're a New Testament church rising up. Oh, we're rising up. We're rising up. Oh, we're a New Testament church rising up. And as an inspiration begin to strike him, we're rising up. The walls begin to shake. The chains begin to drop. And they begin to sound their feet. Oh, this is a New Testament church. Hallelujah. God delivered me from every fear. God delivered me from all these things. All my fears came down like Jericho's walls. It didn't matter anymore because those walls are falling to the ground. Oh, praise be to God. We need a commitment. 
I was thinking there's a man named Evan Roberts. We watched a video on him on, on Friday night with the young people. He's largely responsible for the, the Welsh revival in the early 1900s. His words were that when he got, really got a hold of God and he began to cry out, he said, Lord, bend me, bend me, bend me. And he was just draped over the pew in front of him crying out. And he said, it felt like I was crying teardrops of blood. It just, it was so much. And he said, the first thing, when, when there's just a wave began to come over him of the power of God. And as he stood up, he said, that his first thought was of pity. And of an overwhelming desire to save souls. Hallelujah. Instantly, there was a full commitment I'm committed to this gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter anymore what's going on because I'm a part of a church that's rising up. Oh my. You know the verses to that, sister? Well, the Bible plainly tells how the Holy Ghost fell and signs and wonders were done by the apostles' hands. Spirits were cast out in the jail. They sang and shout, well, surrounded by God's holy angel band. Oh, we're rising up, oh, we're rising up. Oh, we're the New Testament church rising up. Yes, we're rising up, we're rising up. Oh, we're the New Testament church rising up. And as I look out across the land, well, I see God's mighty hand as the bride of Christ adorned by the wedding gown. Oh, just like in the days of old, how they stood in courage bold, they turned that old world upside down. We're rising up. are done. Well, I have some good news to bring to you. For in these last days, he'll pour out of his spirit more and more. Like a mind, oh, your strength is carrying you. Oh, we're rising up. We're rising up. Oh, in the New Testament church, rising up. Revelations chapter 5, it talks about how the Lamb came and took the book. And he was found worthy. And it says in verse 9, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. And thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. There was something to rejoice about. Why? Because he took that sealed book and he was worthy not just to take it but to loose the seals. And as the seals have been loosed, there's a bride down in Laodicea that begins to rise up. Why? Because she's seen something that was written in that book. Hallelujah. But Brother Branham would talk about Nathaniel when Nathaniel would come and make that confession, that commitment to the gospel. He says that his name, Nathaniel's name, was indelible tonight. Oh my, what does that mean? Indelible means it cannot be blotted out. It cannot be annulled. When your name is in the Lamb's book of life, it cannot be annulled. It cannot be blotted out. There is nothing. Hallelujah. It gives you something to sing about. It gives you something to worship about. It's something to be committed to because when you really get that revelation, there comes such a commitment well up within an individual. Everything else takes second place. Oh my, you begin to go to a job on a Friday afternoon. Your boss says, you got to get that job done. You say, okay, and pretty soon the man starts asking you questions about the word. And you'll stand there for an hour and a half and begin talking to him about the word. 
Now, now the carnal mind would say, you got to get the job done. What do you do and get back to work? But God gave me this job so I could meet somebody, so I could tell them about the Lord. Because my full commitment is to God, not to this job. My full commitment is to God, not to all the cares of this life. He'll make a way. Hallelujah. And you know, I can tell you right now, God made a way on that job. Turns out the tub I was supposed to install was cracked. Couldn't put it in. I got to go home early. God's got a way of making everything work together. You say, oh, it looks like a terrible thing. No, God had a reason for me to be there. And he made sure there was time for me to be there for that individual. Oh, God works all things out for good. Hallelujah. Don't you just love the Lord? Since I saw my name in the book of redemption. Hallelujah. Since I saw my name in the book of redemption. Since I saw my name in the book.